I took the lead. Where's a good station? Somebody's heart. Glorious. Glorious. Amen. Guardians of Grace. What's wrong? Welcome to the Guardians of Grace podcast. Relax. You have found the right place. We're here to serve. Join us. Holding to pure grace. Again. Relax. Join in with us. Listen on. Be blessed. Fenders of Grace. Hello again, everyone out there in Grace Guard Dog Land, especially Canada. Yeah. Thank you, Canada. We, we see all those downloads you're doing. We appreciate that. I hope it's a blessing. I hope it's blessing you, but our hats go off to you guys up there. Eh? Hey. <laughs> Canada's on fire, man. It's cool. Yeah, that was a bunch of downloads. We got a bunch of downloads, and we're into, let's see, year three, officially. Right. We've crossed that barrier Six different ways, but we're officially in the year three. Or should we try our 100th podcast one more time? <laughs> 100 podcast part three. Yeah, yeah. Well, our last podcast, which was the lost podcast, but the found podcast. Right. The computer shut off all of a sudden and lost the, the podcast, but then somehow I just searched the hard drive itself and found it. Thank God. So it aired. It didn't air. And now we had a couple questions about it, just personal questions regarding, well, it was on Galatians 5, 513. Well, a couple times it says, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm and be not entangled again with the yoke of slavery. And we debunked the idea that all of us thought at one time that de- that be not entangled with the yoke of slavery was the sinful lifestyle. Bars and... Going to the bars and... Yeah. But it wasn't. It, the yoke of slavery, he said, was don't be entangled again with the yoke of slavery because they had gotten back into legalism. It was literally going to church and having to go every Sunday as a rule. Don't miss any Sunday or any Wednesday and a whole rules which put you back on the legalistic performance treadmill. And he was saying, don't use your freedom for that. Not round two, because like it said in two, you'll be rebuilding what you once destroyed. You'll be rebuilding that commandment mentality. So don't use your free freedom as a second chance to, to try and get it right this time. Use your freedom, the segue into a spirit-empowered life. Exactly. We went into a lot of detail. I think we went just verse by verse through starting in Galatians 2.50, the famous in-your-face passage between Peter and Paul. Yeah. And Paul turns it into a 
warning to the Galatians not to do what Peter did, go back to the Ten Commandment mentality. And then in Galatians 5.13, there was the memory verse I was talking to you about where it says, it's for freedom that Christ set you free again. He says it, he said, but don't let it be an opportunity by the flesh. And it was obvious to us that what he means by an opportunity from the flesh is not going back to the, the bars and doing all the, the, the bad things that you don't associate with an exemplary Christian life. An opportunity for the flesh is actually to get that religious side of you, that legalistic side of you, involved again in your Christian experience. And Paul just gives warnings in Ephesians and Colossians and Galatians, uh, those three specifically. It was his number one battle. Yeah. It was Paul. Paul was redundant with it. And then included in this podcast, if we get a chance, we need to answer a question, and it's in Galatians, and it's what then is the purpose of the law? Right. Because the law did have a purpose. Mm Mm-hmm. We'll cover that, but we, we should review a little bit here, and then let's get into what then is the purpose of the law. I think yeah. we'd like to know that. If, if you're curious about that question, this passage will floor you. Yeah. You'll find yeah. it very interesting and telling and poignant. Poignant, good power word. You know, a good place to start is Colossians 2. Before we go to Galatians 3, okay? Yeah. Maybe let's start at the beginning of of Colossians 2. There's a prayer. I want you to be encouraged having your hearts knit together in love so that you would have the full riches of complete understanding and have the knowledge of God's mystery, that you would know the mystery of God, the secret of God, namely Christ, and get this, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Amen. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ. That would make you a smart dude. That, <laughs> all yeah. the treasures of wisdom. So, so Christ is your brilliance. Christ is your wisdom. And that's why Paul says that first. Then when we say... Okay, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hid in Christ. So let's go to some other sources for wisdom and knowledge and supplement them to exactly. our Christian it, life. Exactly. When, when it's saying Christ in you is just a treasure trove of wisdom and knowledge. All. And the, I would say all the Bible knowledge, too. All the biblical mandates, biblical thoughts are all in him. So we see that and it's that word epinosis epic or superimposed knowledge. It's it's something that the natural mind, we did that on 1 Corinthians 2, can understand. It's the spirit that, that gives us the thoughts of God. So no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Mm-hmm. No one knows the thoughts of man except the Spirit of man. And the, the Spirit we received is from God, so we would know freely all of God's thoughts. And if you have the mind of Christ, 
you have all the treasures of wisdom in Rome. You basically totally have everything you need for life and godliness mm-hmm. through our knowledge of him. That's why it says the spirit searches all things and is judged by no one. All things, even the deep things. Yes. Just adds that. In. Yeah, right. So then he goes on in Colossians. I'm saying this, that no one will deceive you with persuasive arguments. For I may be absent in the body, but I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see how well ordered you are and the strength of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus, the Lord, walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, overflowing with thankfulness. So he's saying, I told you all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in Christ. Then he gives them a warning. He says, I don't want someone to deceive you. Someone with persuasive arguments. Mm -hmm. Fine sounding arguments. And there are some sharp, sharp people on the TVs and radio stations. They can make a point. They're silver tongued. We're, We're brain damaged. But they're not brain damaged. They're silver-tongued and sharp as a tack. and can make something be so convincing. But if it doesn't... You're right. We can't make these persuasive, deceptive arguments. Yeah. Then he says it in 2.8. It's even stronger. Be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition based on the elementary principles of the world and not based on Christ. It's Christ plus nothing. Our elementary principles. So eloquently saying is it's Christ plus this principle or that formula. Doesn't this make the argument? Verse 9. So he says, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ. Look at verse 9. For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells in Christ's bodily. And that can express itself right through you. That's the point. The fullness of Christ you can manifest. So fullness, doesn't that same sound like the same word? The full riches of complete understanding. Good and all point. the treasures of wisdom. I, I, I never tied that together. Good point. The fullness of God's, all the fullness of God's nature dwells in Christ bodily. That fullness word is, it's, it's a noun here, it's pleroma. Christ is completely filled with God's wisdom and knowledge. But what about us? Well, look at verse 10. And you have been filled by him who is the head of every ruler and authority. Now that's a good teaching. That's a good, that's teaching it right. It's about Christ. And there's one word here. Remember how it said all the fullness to play Roma? Paul actually made a Greek word here Mm. for us. Mm. He made a verb out of the noun fullness, mm-hmm. Roma, mm-hmm. he says you've been Bill. Roma-rized. Oh, wow. Okay. Let me read it here. 
and you have been filled by him. So he's energized you with all the fullness. Mm-hmm. Infused you with all the wisdom. All the wisdom. It's all there. The anointing teaches you to abide in Christ. And that's First John 2.27. That says right after, you need not that a man teach you, but the Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. And it teaches you to abide I in Christ. That yes. is what Paul is fighting against. These fine-sounding arguments that don't, they just barely miss teaching you to be in Christ. Christ plus our, our part. Or it's really, sometimes it's even our part and they don't even know about the fullness of Christ. They don't even know about depending on the Spirit. That's what Paul was battling against. Christ plus our part. It's what the whole Jerusalem Council on Law and Grace was about. Remember, they went to, to the disciples and they, ha- they had this meeting and they're saying the, the Pharisees or, that had been converted say, um, we, we need to put the Jews or the Gentiles uh, under the law too. And then they said, well, just part of the law. We need, we need to at least put them on. They need to be circumcised and they keep parts of the law, like tithing, of course. <laughs> but Paul says... Remember what he said to the Galatians? If you allow yourself to be circumcised, if you just take part of the law, you're under obligation to keep it all. Yes. So selective observance is what Paul's fighting against. Let me say that again. Paul fights against the idea of selective observance, telling everybody else to observe what is important to you, but not observing all of it then. Right. So, and it's the same even today. They, they'll say, well, you, obviously we can't go to the temple three times a year, and but we can we can substitute our own laws and, and kind of duplicate them. And we'll, we'll keep, we'll keep, funny how they always keep the ones that keep the, the financially money. going. Yeah. yeah. That's our new modern day term, selective observance. But they're not sacrificing goats and, and birds. They're not doing the, the grain offerings and those things. And they're not doing sin offerings. Yet they'll, they've made a new law that, no, you don't have to sacrifice a, a lamb or a, a goat, but you can confess your your sins. Right. And, and they made that a law. Mm-hmm. That unconfessed sin equals unforgiven sin. And they make fine-sounding arguments to promote that idea. If you just have a checkup from the neck up, then God won't have to do it. If you're checking yourself for all your sin, then God won't have to do it. Those are all fine-sounding arguments that don't rely on the power of God that you received the day that you were born again. Exactly. They rob you. That's what he said earlier. They rob you. Don't let someone rob you. Now let's jump down to Colossians 2, 18. Now he says, and don't let anyone disqualify you, insisting on aesthetic practices and the worship of angels, 
claiming access to a visionary realm and inflated without cause by his unspiritual mind. We've seen this guy on TV. He's talking about this angel came to, 50-foot angel came to visit him. Right. Listen to what I got to say. And that is where you're getting on the lunatic fringe of fine-sounding arguments. But yet you still hear shenanigans like that. And here in this passage, it's clearly telling you not to listen to them. Well, look what it says. He says, let no one disqualify you, rob you of the prize. With his aesthetic practices, his vision of the angels and angel worship. And you you can go into a store and they'll they'll have a candle for this angel to... Yeah. This is the angel that finds your car keys and this is the angel... (laughs) There's a whole system to that. It's it's a real thing going on now. Yeah. Verse 19. Look what it says about this guy. He doesn't... This is the person that goes into great details about his This is the guy visits. that sounds so eloquent. The silver-tongued guy that's making these wonderful arguments and acting so holy up there on the pulpit. This is who we're talking about now. Says he's... He's, he's the guy that gives you these rules and these little principles and the accountability partner system and the let's gather in the football stadium and challenge one another to do these things and be better at this. The whole promise keeper system that completely fell apart because nobody kept their promises. That's exactly what happened. It is. It had some good things come out of promise keepers, but the act of the, the whole goal and purpose of living a exemplary Christian life did not happen. No, it didn't. But you, people got to meet a lot of good friends. and It became to where everybody was witch hunting. And they were disqualified. They were disqualifying everybody in the Bible study. Just person by person got disqualified. Whenever you make it, I qualify for God's acceptance, I qualify for God's approval, if I do these things, you've automatically disqualified yourself. You have. You've gone down the wrong track. And that's what Paul is fighting against. Go ahead and read. Not disqualified in reality, but in your mind, you have. Mm-hmm. Your enemies in your mind because of your evil behavior. Guess what it says? The guy that's doing that teaching, the system that's doing that teaching, it says... They have lost connection to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and held together by its ligaments and tendons, develops with growth from God. Isn't that going back to the beginning? They've saying, I don't need the Spirit's power. They've lost been severed connection. from the head and the body and the power of Christ. They've lost it. And they've caused millions of people to lose it, too with a fine-sounding argument that says you have to do this or that or God will be mad with you, you've immediately been severed from grace, as Galatians says. And you're not getting nourished, you're not being held together by supporting ligaments and tendons, and you're not growing. Those are the three things he warns you about. Don't be taken captive by this. So doesn't that sound like, let me read Ephesians okay. 4.16. And before you do, just let me reiterate that 
Paul said, this is my way of life in Christ Jesus that I teach everywhere in every church. Not in the power of human determination, but the power of Christ in you, the hope of glory, Colossians 1.27, doing for you what you can't do for yourself. And he battles against the people with fine-sounding arguments that tell you to get in any way, shape, or form back on that human performance treadmill. Exactly. Just, and here's what it says here in Ephesians. Really, I'll just paraphrase, but he's saying when Christ ascended, he took captivity captive and he gave gifts to men and he calls these gifts, he calls gifts to men, pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints. These are pastors and teachers, they're people, and they're having this message about staying connected to the the vine. And they're pushing everyone to that way. Forget the law. The good teacher is pushing everyone to abide in the vine. Stay connected to the head. Yeah. That's where your support comes from. That's where all the wisdom comes from. And that's how you grow. Where the other ones are saying, yeah, that's good, but we have this supplement. Yeah, don't be so simple. Don't be such a simpleton. Listen to this eloquent, eloquent diatribe that I'm going to spew out all over you. So he's saying if you stay connected to the the grace teachings which he gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets and evangelists, pastors and teachers for the training of the saints in the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ. Here we go with the building the up the body of Christ. Yes. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge, there's that word again, the epinosis of God's son growing, growth again, into a mature man, maturing. And this is beautiful. With a stature measured by Christ's fullness. There's that pleroma again. Attaining the full stature of the measure of Christ. That That is saying that you can be holy and blameless and walk an exemplary Christian life. You can speak and act like Jesus himself because it is Jesus himself speaking and acting through you. That's what 1 John chapter 3 starts off the chapter with. The idea that you can walk like him because yes. he only walks one way. That's exactly it, Gardog Steve. And then he says, so we can mature. We can have the full stature and that word fullness again, that pleroma word again. We remember we've been playromerized to borrow from that word. Yeah, we've been made full, made full, passive voice. If you have the fullness of Him, you don't need a supplement. You, there, you no supplements needed. I'm repeating myself, but I, sometimes I think it's needed to repeat. It is. It is. And four fourteen. This is the part Steve was get a load of this. Then we will no longer be little children tossed by back and forth by the waves. And blown here and there by every what, Steve? Wind of doctrine and the cunningness of men and their deceitful scheming. That's Isn't that the same NAS, thing he said I in Colossians? Yes. Deceitful scheming, disqualifying yeah. you, yeah. taking you away from the fullness of Christ. Yes. But speaking the truth in love 
let us grow in him to us ahead who is Christ, from whom the whole body filled, there's that word again, and knit together by every supporting ligament promotes the growth of the body for building up itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. They're saying you'll no longer be blown here and there by the wind and by the sea, but in the cunningness and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming, just like Colossians was saying that they have the appearance of wisdom and they flagellate themselves and they tell you with fine-sounding arguments to be on the performance treadmill. And Colossians goes on to say, all those things sound wise, but lack any value in getting the job done. Restraining sensual desires. It lacks any value. All this stuff that we're warning against, we're warning against it because it lacks any value. You won't live the, the Christian life that you want to doing this. I, lacking any value, do you mean it has no value whatsoever? None. It's dumb. Paul called it dumb. Could we go even further? Mm-hmm. Get a load of this. I'm going to go to Colossians 2.23, but I'm going to do one more in Colossians 2.19. It says that the teacher who's teaching you these elementary principles and don't do this, don't do that, the harsh treatment of the body, giving you the rules, the unshakable, unbreakables. Mm-hmm. It says he doesn't hold fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and held together by its ligaments and tendons develops with growth from God. It, it's saying the same thing. He's not Three. depending. He's not abiding in the vine like Jesus said. He's lost connection with the head. He's, he's out not, there on his own. He's out there. He's just simply not abiding. In teaching other people that they don't have to abide, they have... It would be bad enough he was out there on his own, but he's attracting disciples. Exactly. So, back to these elementary principles, these harsh treatment of the body. Get a load of this. This is from the New English Translation, the the Net Bible. Okay. Okay. That's the one all these scholars converged with notes, and they Mm -hmm. took a lot of time translating. Could be the best Bible going. Right now, I think it is when you when you add the notes mm-hmm. to it, mm-hmm. it is. It is. So he says in two twenty three, even though they have the appearance of wisdom, we're talking about these false teachings, false teachers. Even though they have the appearance of wisdom with their self imposed worship and false humility, achieved by an unsparing treatment of the body. Another way of saying the harsh treatment of the body. Flagellating themselves. Flagellating. It says it is a wisdom with no true value. This wisdom in reality actually results in fleshly indulgence. 
Did you hear that? It actually does the opposite of what these fine-sounding people are telling you to do. Produces the opposite result. You end up sinning more, which is exactly what Paul said. If they tell me, you got to honor your wife, you can't go to bars anymore, Mm -hmm. and so I'm just sitting in my house going, can't go to the bar, can't go to the bar, can't go to the bar, don't go to the bar, don't go to the bar, don't go to the bar. What's on my mind? The bar. The, the bar is what's on my mind. It's not beautiful thoughts like, like a Christian should have. If you go to the bar, you really let God down. If you go to the bar, you, you're going to have to be accountable to there your accountability. The condemnation. So the condemnation. The guilt for even thinking such thoughts. I had guilt for even having that battle. And so you start punching yourself going, don't think of the bar and treating your body harshly. This verse in the Net Bible is actually saying they in result, they in reality result in fleshly indulgence. It's it's saying you actually might end up doing the very thing you didn't want to do. It's saying you will do the very thing you want to do, just like 1 Corinthians 15, 56 says, the power of sin is the law or Romans 7 when the commandment came in sin sprang to life it didn't matter whether it was a commandment from the the stone tablets or it was some commandment that somebody with a silver tongue was making up yes elementary principles so it gets to the so yeah Most of them say they have no value at restraining it. This one actually says, and it agrees with Paul's letters in Romans 7, Paul's Mm -hmm. teaching in Romans 7. And it is Paul teaching here. You would agree with himself. (laughs) Same guy. They actually result in fleshly indulgence. And it's important to know that the sin deceived me and took an opportunity It used that elementary principle, don't go to the bar, as an opportunity to get your mind thinking on my fleshly, I got to have willpower, I'm going to use my willpower. And that's one of the the teachings of it. Uh, They go go into will worship. Mm -hmm. Will worship. How about that? Will worship is... says will worship. You know what will worship is? I'm making a commitment. Mm-hmm. I'm a promise keeper. Mm-hmm. I have a strong will. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm so proud of my will. I can mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. will myself not to do these things. Exactly. That's exactly. what will worship is. Yeah. But guess what? When all the while we don't have a free will at all because we're dominated by the sin person, when we get under the law, we are controlled by evil. It wages war in our members. It makes us a a prisoner and controls us. We don't have the free will that everybody's saying you do, and that's the fine-sounding argument teachers that are teaching that. The Greek word for will is used repeatedly in Romans 7. I do Properly what I don't trans- will to do, and I don't do what I do will to do, and I do the very thing I do not will to do, and I do the very evil I do not will to do. 
That's exactly how it reads. I know. And he says, I know nothing good dwells in me. The willingness to do good is in me, but the doing of good is not. We're just quoting scriptures there out of Romans 7. Read them and know that the Greek word there is will. And it's telling you point blank, you do not have a free will, that it's in bondage to Satan. Who are you going to believe? Are you going to believe Romans chapter 7? Or are you going to believe somebody who can speak in cliches and Christian ease and has all that gobbledygook down path? So you so you do have a will, but as far as being free, you can't make the case when it says you can't ever do the thing you will to do. Exactly. You're not free. Exactly. You can't use the word freedom and slavery. You can't use the word freedom and prisoner. They're opposite words. Yeah, exactly. Just read Romans 7. There's no such thing as a free prisoner, I don't think. No, there isn't. The Romans 7 is, is saying that you... You have the will to do it, and it's saying, and these people with these fine-sounding arguments are saying, yeah, you can, you can do what you will to do, but you got to make a commitment. Well, that's just another word for doubling down on my will. Exactly. And then it says, well, you also got to be make a commitment and be accountable to what two other accountability people, partners, an accountability partner, which you run from when. You're not willing to do what you will to do. Yeah, people do lie to their accountability partners. If having a rule, having a commitment was what worked, then the law would have worked. Exactly, exactly. Say that again. If having a, a free will and a commitment and having a rule to follow worked, then the law would have worked. Yes, but what does it say? God found fault with the first covenant because God found fault with the people. They couldn't keep the first covenant, which was keep the law. The law, the law which found brings us to back to what you were going to say. We're going to look back in Galatians at what the law teaches us. Oh, yeah, we, we got to get to that. Yeah. So let's just ask the question. What then was the purpose of the law? Isn't that Galatians 3? Yes, it is. We can look. We, Like I say, it's a no-brainer because we can just go look at the scriptures, think about what they are, and the scriptures will just show us what the purpose of the law is. So let's do that. Well, I'm there. I might as well just start reading it, huh, Bill? Yeah, let's, let's find out why this law in the first place. Okay. It says in Galatians 3.19, what is the purpose of the law? That's our question, right? Yeah. Can I tell you what mm -hmm. I thought the law was? Yeah. Probably a lot of people. I thought people had gotten so bad in their behavior that God said, I'm going to have to give some rules and regulations. We got we to gotta stop this. We got to put an end to this. And I need... I need this law to modify their bad behavior. I wouldn't have known about coveting unless the law 
had not said, thou shalt not covet. Yeah, I that, needed it to point out that I shouldn't covet because I was doing it. So that's what it says? Yes. Let me, let me read this again. What is the purpose of the law? It was added because of transgressions having in, been ordained through angels by the agency of a mediator, which was Moses, until the seed should come to whom the promise had been made. Now, a mediator is not for one party only, whereas God is only one. So you're going to ask yourself, is the law contrary to the promises of God? May it never be. For if a law had been given which was able to impart life, then righteousness would indeed have been based on law. But there wasn't. It couldn't do it. And that's what the next verse says. But the scriptures has shut up all men under sin that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. So the faith of Christ brings about righteousness. The faithfulness of Christ brings about righteousness. We can never our faithfulness to the keeping of the law. Yeah. It, our righteousness is based on the faithfulness of Christ in us to do for us what we can't do for ourselves. Our righteousness is not based on the law being set there so we can read it and then will ourselves to do it. So my theory about people's sins were getting so bad that he said he added the law, and it was temporary too, point that out, but he added the law, but it says it was added because of transgressions. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, you have to have a law before you can have a transgression because a, a transgression is breaking of a law. If, it, if there's not a law, then there's not transgression. There, there had to be a law to mark down each and every transgression we did so that Christ could pay for them. Say that again, because that mm -hmm. is so important. Mm -hmm. Get there. this. This is the purpose of, of giving the law with all 613 ordinances. Yes, the purpose was to mark down, like in a ledger, each and every one of your sins, your transgressions of that law, so that Christ could die for each and every one of them. That's why it says... Is the law contrary to the promises of God? May it never be, for if a law had been given which was able to impart life, then righteousness would indeed have been based on law, but the law was there to mark how unrighteous we were by marking our sins. Well, then when he paid for the sins and we're righteous, wouldn't that mean the end of the law? And that's exactly what it goes on to say. Remember, we're answering the question, what is the purpose of the law? So 
I'm going to read the rest of this little passage. Galatians 3.19 through, let's say, 25. Okay. The scripture has shut up all under sin that the promises might be by the faithfulness of Christ and given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith which was later to be revealed. So it was, we were in custody for a brief time under the law, and then it says, for a reason, and then it says, therefore, get a load of this, the law has become your tutor to lead you to Christ, that you might be justified by the faithfulness of Christ. Well, how does the law teach us, how does the law tutor us to go to Christ instead of trying to keep the law? Marking down each and every sin we do. They were constantly bombarded till in Jeremiah 17 when God said, I'm going to trash you one more time if you don't start being faithful to the law. They said it's hopeless. We'll all follow the, our deceitful hearts. Well, when you learn it's hopeless to try the performance treadmill, you're in a position to turn to Christ and begin to abide in the vine. That's what it was meant to do, was turn you to Christ so you could abide in his strength and therefore become a better Christian, let's say. Seeing your hopelessness to keep the law by actually seeing your hopelessness and depending on your own strength, you turn to Christ to do it for you. And that's why it says, but now that faith has come, we are no longer under the law. We are no longer under the teeter, tutor, to teach us a way of life in Christ Jesus, which Paul taught everywhere in every church. Wow. I wish we weren't running out of time, but maybe we can pick this up. Yes, I guess. At a later date. Can you sum this up and close this out in prayer? Let's let's just sum up the purpose of the law. The law was there, like it says in Romans 4, through the law comes the knowledge of sin how bad you missed the mark, harmartia, an archery term for not hitting the mark. Through the law comes the knowledge of how bad you missed the mark trying to be a Christian. Through the law, your transgressions are marked before you so you know what they are. Through the law, Christ could pay for those transgressions, but the law was put in place to become a tutor to you so you would learn the lesson over and over and over again. I can't quite make it. I can't do it. I'm not doing very well. Over and over, you're supposed to learn that lesson. I'm not adding up. I'm not measuring up. This is futile. I never will. I, it, I seem hopeless. Who, a wretched man that I am, who can deliver me from this terrible state that I am? Thanks be to 
God through Jesus Christ. And I'm just quoting Romans 7, 23 or so, because that's what it says. Paul cries out, oh, wretched man that I am, because the law had pointed out how wretched he was and how hopeless it was for him to live up to Christ's standards. So he said, who will do it for me? And he said, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus said. Take my yoke upon you because my burden is light. Let me do it for you. Just abide in me. I am the vine. You abide in me and you'll bear much fruit. You'll live a righteous Christian life. So with that in mind, I just want to close in prayer. Father God, allow the law to do what the law is meant to do. And that's to point out our sins so much that that depression comes in and we begin to understand that we can't live the Christian life in our own determination and let us cause the law to cause us to turn to Jesus, Father. Make that happen over and over. Anoint your law to enlighten each and every one of us that we need Jesus in our life. If you'll only do that for us, Lord, we'd be more than happy here at Guardians of Grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good night, everyone. Thank you. We love you. We love you.